Amen. And now if you're able, I'd ask that you would stand with me as we hear the word of the Lord read together. I'm going to be reading Isaiah chapter 59, verses 8 through 20. Isaiah 59, 8 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads of them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay, wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Now let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, message that so honestly depicts... Uh, this world and the state of this world without you. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that as we read these words, uh, we are not left just with a, a, a terrible picture of life in a world that doesn't know you, uh, but that we are told that you uh, saw what was happening, you cared, and you entered into this world. And we thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate that together this morning. In your prayer, amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning... As we continue to uh, prepare our hearts uh, to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, we're studying Isaiah chapter 59, uh, verses 8 through 20, which I just read for us. And as we read these verses, what we find is, is the desperate condition of a world without a Savior uh, that is in desperate need of a Savior. And, and one of the traditions uh, surrounding the celebration of Christmas for many of us is a Christmas movie. Uh, many of us have kind of favorite Christmas movies that we watch each year as a family, and that's kind of become part of our Christmas traditions and celebration. Uh, some of y'all enjoy watching all of the Christmas movies that come out on, on Hallmark every year. 
Uh, maybe like my family, and by my family, I mean the Bryant side. Uh, Amanda's not a fan, but uh, maybe some of y'all are big fans of the Christmas story uh, where Ralphie is hoping against hope uh, to get a Red Ryder BB gun. Uh, some of you may be Home Alone fans, Elf fans, uh, Garfield Christmas, Charlie Brown. Uh, if you grew up in the 80s, you may have seen this very strange Christmas show, uh, like a claymation Christmas. Uh, some of you, you didn't miss anything. Uh, <laughs> So others of you uh, may go the more classic route. Uh, you may watch movies like White Christmas or The Shop Around the Corner or even It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, I personally have always enjoyed watching It's a Wonderful Life. And one of the neat aspects of this movie is that George Bailey is allowed to see uh, what life would be like if he had never been born. And as you, you watch the opening scenes of this movie, you know, the circumstances of George Bailey's life just completely unravel over the course of a day. And by that evening, he has become an utterly desperate man. Uh, for years, uh, for years, he has sacrificed all of his greatest ambitions uh, to keep the family bis- uh, business open, and he's done this as a way to help the people of his town. And he loses a bank deposit, or a bank deposit's lost, and, and suddenly he finds himself facing the prospect of losing his business and even of going to jail. And in a moment of despair, he suggests that everybody, including his family, would have been better off if he'd never been born. And so as the movie progresses, he's given the opportunity uh, to see what the town that he has lived in would be like, what the lives of his family and friends would be like if he had never been born. And those of you who've seen the movie know that the picture that he's shown is bleak. Uh, Not only would the lives of his friends and family have been worse, but the town, the entire town is worse off without him and his absence. Uh, his beloved Bedford Falls has become Pottersville. And Pottersville is a dark and desperate place uh, where crime and vice uh, seem to rule the town. Well, and it's a wonderful life. We get to see what life would be like uh, without George Bailey. In Isaiah chapter 59, we get to see what life uh, would look like if God did not ever enter into this world. In Isaiah 59, we find Israel in need of rescue from their oppressors, uh, but they're also in need of rescue from their own sins. And in both cases, their condition is desperate. Uh, They are helpless to save themselves. And this passage is so important for us today because just like Israel, uh, we live in a world that knows the darkness and the desperation of needing a Savior. Uh, We are daily uh, surrounded by the stories and the lives of men and women and children who are trying to make their way through the darkness and desperation of this world without the help of a Savior. Uh, We live in a dark and desperate world. And at the same time, we know what it's like for our long struggle with our own sins, uh, for our long struggle with, uh, to, to live faithfully while suffering all the effects of life in a fallen world. Uh, we know how that can at times leave us feeling desperate for rescue. And since we also live in a dark and desperate world, and since we also wrestle with the darkness of our own sins, you know, we need this message this morning to remind us uh, that we do not live in a world that has been abandoned by its creator but that God sent his son into this darkness to rescue and redeem his people. And so this morning, we're going to take a few minutes. We're going to walk through the passage together. And then we're going to look at three ways that we should respond uh, to the good news that we find in this passage this morning. And the first thing that we read in verse 8 is Isaiah's, comment, or is Isaiah's summary of the desperate condition of a humanity left to its own devices. I'm going to read verse 8 again for us. It says this. The way of peace they did not know. And there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. 
So in the first eight verses of this chapter, Isaiah tells us that the problem is not uh, that the Lord's hand is too short to save his people or that the Lord can't hear their cries. The problem is that their sins have separated from them from their God. And verse 8 is really kind of the culmination of the first eight verses of this chapter, summarizing their condition. And in these verses, we learn that their biggest problem is not their physical enemies. Their biggest problem is their own hearts. And so verse 8 serves as a summary of Isaiah's appraisal of the desperate condition of humanity and as an appraisal of the state of Israel. He says there is no peace, uh, there is no justice, and that they have intentionally made their own paths crooked. Uh, They aren't at peace with God, they aren't at peace with one another, they're not at peace with themselves, and they don't even desire peace. That's what we're told in verse 8. And this is very similar to what we read um, in Paul's description of the condition of mankind in Romans chapter 3. Uh, Romans 3, where he says, no one is righteous, uh, no, not one. You know, this is, uh, this is the bleak condition. This is the desperate condition that we find as we begin studying Isaiah 59. And in verses 9, uh, in verses 9 through the beginning of verse 15, Isaiah lays out uh, the desperate results of this condition. And I'm going to restart by reading Romans, uh, sorry, Isaiah uh, 9 through 11 here. It says, therefore, justice is far from us. And righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind, we grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears, we moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none, for salvation, but it is far from us. In these words, Isaiah gives us an incredible description of the desperate situation that Israel is in. Everything has gone wrong. Everything has gone wrong, and their rescue is nowhere in sight. And it's just such a haunting phrase where he says, They hoped for light, and behold, darkness. They hoped for brightness, and yet they walk in gloom. Uh, One commentator tells us that Isaiah frequently uses this language of the coming of the light as a reference for the coming of the Messiah, uh, the coming of their rescuer, And that Isaiah frequently uses the idea of darkness in reference to the sinfulness of this world. And so in Isaiah 59, the people are waiting for the light of salvation. uh, But instead, what they received is is even more darkness. And and look at this. It says that they groped for the walls like the blind. uh, That they tried to find their way out of the darkness. And all they found was more darkness. Uh, And and we're told that they aren't just just blind. uh, They are as those without eyes. In some cases, a blindness can be cured. But the only process that can fix the lack of eyes is a a new act of creation. You know, the problem of their darkness is not their circumstances. The problem of their darkness is inside of them. And the same thing is true of us. You know, our problem is not somewhere out there. Our problem is in here. You know, our, our problem is our hearts. And that's what Isaiah is telling us here. So the question then, uh, the question for us is this. You know, when the problem is you... How do you rescue yourself? You know, when, when the problem is you, how do you rescue yourself? Or as C.S. Lewis puts it, um, to what will you look for help if not something greater than yourself? You know, Israel is suffering from their own sins. Uh, they are separated from God by their sins, and they need to be rescued. But rescue has yet to come. Uh, they hope for light and behold darkness. And so in verse 11, we hear them growling like bears in their frustration at their situation. Now, they're, they're moaning like doves in their sadness. And again, 
uh, we hear the thought echoed in the words of Paul in the book of Romans. I'm going to read just a, a tiny little bit of Romans 8, verse 22 and 23, where he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know, the entire creation is groaning as it awaits for final redemption. Uh, but it's not just creation groaning, right? We, we are groaning. Uh, we're groaning as well as we await the final redemption. And so the people of Israel are groaning for redemption as they suffer the consequences of their own sins and as they suffer from the sins of the people around them. And so in these verses, uh, these first 11 verses, Isaiah has painted a bleak picture. He's painted a desperate picture. And unfortunately for Israel, he hasn't done quite yet. I'm going to read verse 12 through the beginning of verse 15 for us. It says, For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord, and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. In verse 12, Isaiah stops talking about Israel, and he begins talking for Israel. If you notice, Isaiah uses the word our in these verses. Isaiah belongs to God's people. Uh, their situation is his situation. And here Isaiah brings us into a courtroom to stand before the Lord. And the bad news is that we have no defense because our sins are already there testifying against us. And even worse, the judge is the one who we've sinned against. And, and listen to these sins that Isaiah doesn't list. He doesn't start listing lust or stealing or pride or anger. And he doesn't listen or list the, um, the sins that were so prominent in the first eight verses of the chapter. He says that their sins are transgressing and denying the Lord. Uh, their sin is turning their back from following God. You know, all of the other sins that he's mentioned in verses 1 through 8, you know, they flow from the fact that their relationship with God wasn't right. Uh, if they're hoping for rescue, it begins with a relationship with God. If they're hoping for change, it begins with a changed heart, and changed hearts come from God. And again, in verses 14 through 15, we hear uh, that there is no hope to be found for Israel anywhere but with God. I'm going to listen to uh, read uh, 14 and 15 again. It says, Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil uh, makes himself a prey. Isaiah tells us uh, that those looking for justice aren't finding it. Those who look for righteousness, it's far away. For truth has stumbled. They can't look to truth. Um, he tells us that those who try to turn from evil and who try to follow God become prey themselves. Uh, for those who have rejected God. This is the situation. Uh, Israel is desperately in need of rescue from their sins and from their oppressors. But no rescue has come. They hope for light. Uh, behold, darkness. They hope for brightness, but they walk in gloom. But then, beginning in the second half of verse 15, the light begins to break through this passage, and it begins to break through their darkness. As we read the Lord's desperate response to all that he sees occurring, and, and usually when we think of the word desperate, uh, we think of being without hope. And that's kind of how we've been using it as we describe the situation that we've read about in the first uh, 15 verses of this chapter. But, but here, when we're talking about the word desperate, uh, we're talking about the desperate response of the Lord. We're using desperate in the sense of you know, em employing extreme or even dangerous measures in an effort to escape a situation. 
Uh, the Lord sees our condition, and he responds by taking this dangerous rescue mission upon himself. I'm going to read verses uh, 15, kind of the second part of 15 through verse 19 again. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the, Lord, uh, the wind of the Lord drives. So as you read this passage, finally, right? Finally, here's the good news for Israel. And here's good news for us. Uh, the Lord sees the situation. He sees the situation and we're told that he's displeased with it. It troubles his heart. Uh, we're told that God sees that there is no one to intercede for the people. He sees that there's no one who can, um, as Edward Young says it, uh, step into the breach that sin has made between God and man. And, and the marvelous thing is that God doesn't just see this. We're told that he cares. It moves him to see his people in this state. Uh, he saw that they needed a rescuer and that they had no rescuer. And so he was displeased. Uh, another translation says it was, it was evil in his eyes. And so God acts. He acts, and in his uh, mercy, he comes in his own power, and he comes in his own righteousness to save his people. Uh, in verse 17, God dresses himself for battle. Uh, he dresses himself in righteousness and salvation. The things that were far off, now they're here. Uh, he says it dresses himself in vengeance, and he wraps himself in zeal. You know, it's, it's the zeal of the Lord for his people that causes him not to rest until the righteousness rules in the land, uh, until his people are saved, until his enemies have been conquered. And in verse 18, we hear of God conquering his enemies, and, the description, and from the description it appears that he is uh, both warring against the wicked in Israel and warring against the wicked who are oppressing Israel. And in the end, the entire earth learns to fear the Lord from the west to the east where the sun rises. And in response to the intervention of God, you know, the world has moved from opposing him to worshiping him. And so Isaiah tells Israel that even though they are currently in darkness, the light will come. And he will come bringing in a new era of righteousness and salvation to God's people. And then verse 20 tells us that the light is not only coming in victory, but he's also coming as our redeemer. I'm going to read verse 20 one more time. Verse 20 says, And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Isaiah tells us that a redeemer will come, which, which kind of begs the question, well, why do they need a redeemer? You know, why not just a conquering military leader? You know, why, not, why not just stop at verse 19 where God has conquered all of his enemies? Well, they need a redeemer because, as, as Ray Ortland puts it, uh, they've sinned their way into slavery. Uh, they've sinned their way into slavery, and they need someone to redeem them, uh, to buy them back out of the slavery that they chose with their own sins. And that's exactly what God provides for his people when he sends Jesus Christ to be born at Christmas all those years ago. In, in John chapter 8, verse 12, uh, John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, the people hoped for light, and years later, the light came into the world. Jesus came bringing light and hope into the dark and desperate world. And so that's the good news. Uh, that's the good news that we're celebrating this Christmas. God saw our condition. He saw the condition of the world. He heard our groaning. He saw that we were helpless. He saw us uh, losing hope as we battle our sins and as we suffer in this fallen world. He saw that we had no rescuer. 
And he promised that one day he would come to us. He would be our rescuer. And he kept that promise when Jesus Christ entered our world, lived a perfect life, and willingly went to the cross to pay the debt that our sins had purchased. He kept that promise, and he still keeps that promise. Uh, He continues to rescue all who repent of their sins and place their faith in him. And so then the question for us this morning is is this. How how, how do we respond? How do we respond to the incredible news that we've heard today, that uh, God saw our need for a redeemer, and he came himself? I'm going to give us three ways. Uh, First, we respond to the good news by believing that God still sees. Uh, We respond to the good news by believing that God still sees. Uh, Just like God saw all that was going on in the lives of his people, God still sees what's going on in your life as well. Uh, He sees your circumstances. He sees you struggling to make ends meet. Uh, He sees you fighting despair, fighting anxiety. Uh, He sees you lamenting the effects of aging and sickness on our bodies. Uh, He sees you fighting for your marriage, fighting for your purity, fighting your temptations. He sees when you're mistreated. Uh, He sees when you do everything right and you lose anyway. Uh, He sees when you do everything wrong and the consequences catch up with you. You know, the good news is that God still sees your circumstances. Uh, He he even still sees our sins. Uh, He still sees and he knows our needs. And so the first way we respond is by believing that God still sees. He still sees. The second way that we respond to the good news this morning is by believing that God still cares. Uh, We respond by believing that God still cares. You know, it it wouldn't actually be good news if God just saw you struggling against your sins or against the darkness of this world and and didn't care. Uh, And thankfully, the Bible assures us that our God cares about his people. Um, And he proved it by sending his son. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live for us and to die for us. Uh, He cares. Uh, when you're fighting to break free from sin. He cares when you're struggling with grief. He cares when you are uh, racked with doubts. He cares when your relationships are broken. He cares when your relationship with him is broken. You know, our God has not stopped caring about his people, and he has not stopped caring about you. Isaiah tells us that he still sees and that God still cares. So the second way we respond is by believing that our God still cares about us. Uh, the third way that we respond to the good news this morning is by believing that God still intervenes. Uh, we believe that God still intervenes. You know, God doesn't just uh, see what you're going through. He doesn't just care. He intervenes. Uh, to intervene means to enter into the situation. And that's what it means, uh, to intervene. It means to enter into the situation. And in the book of John, in the book of John, we find this. Uh, we find this is exactly what God did. I'm going to read a little bit of a passage here. This is John 1, 1 through 14. And this is where it confirms this incredible truth for us, that God enters into our situation. I'm going to read John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Uh, just like Israel, you know, we need rescue from our sins. And we need rescue from the darkness of this world. And just like Israel, we were helpless to do anything for ourselves. Uh, the problem was us. So we couldn't deliver ourselves. And so God saw our need. He cared. He intervened. And so the good news this Christmas is that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has entered into our darkness, and darkness did not overcome him. Uh, Jesus, in accordance with the plan, right? The, the plan set in place in eternity past. Jesus came into this world. Uh, he lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And then he rose again from the dead so that you and I can know forgiveness for our sins, uh, so that we can know reconciliation. We can know a restored relationship with the God that we rebelled against. And so that's the good news. That's the good news that we're celebrating this morning. That's the good news we're celebrating at Christmas. Uh, so this Christmas, let us cherish our Savior. Uh, no longer do we say that we hope for light and behold darkness. And Jesus Christ, the light has come. Uh, as, as Isaiah 9, 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Uh, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Uh, the light has come. Uh, the Old Testament promise of a rescuer and a redeemer has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the light, sent into our darkness to rescue and redeem a people for himself.